pray together. Lord, we lift up um, events happening uh, in our own homes, our communities, our cities, the Twin Cities, the state of Minnesota. This morning also we lift up global events unfolding before us and we surrender first to you. We believe and know you're the Holy One of God and that you are good. You will wake up, you will rise up. That already you are doing that in our own hearts and I ask and pray that God you would show us how we can be agents of redemption, reconciliation in a broken world. Um, with those we interact with today at school, um, that God show us um, how to help, how to assist, how to love. And I ask this morning you would speak through Liz to give us a glimpse of how you have shown her how to do that in her own journey and inspire us, God, by your spirit to do the same. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's my pleasure uh, this morning to introduce to you our speaker for this morning. Just realized um, it's been pretty thrilling and exciting this semester to have so many Southwest Christian High School alum come back and visit us. Liz Franzo is an alum of Southwest from the class of 2007. Uh, while I didn't have the privilege of teaching her, I taught her two sisters back in the day. Uh, the Franzos are a dearly beloved family of Southwest Christian High School, and they have been supporters of us and uh, come alongside of us in a lot of ways and stayed in touch with us over the years. Uh, and so we're excited to have Liz with us today. She is uh, currently the program coordinator at the Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare at the University of Minnesota. Prior to that, she managed uh, working, um, she worked rather managing uh, a children's shelter. And so uh, I'm excited again to invite the Franzos back onto campus. Some of you actually maybe saw uh, both um, Liz and Angela um, two years ago on some panels where they came and joined us in some conversations. Uh, but we're excited to have her um, and her sister with us and joining us um, to share a little bit about her journey. So let's, if you could welcome with me, Liz Franzo. Morning, guys. There's so many of you. I think, uh, one, I have a laptop because I'm not cool enough to have an iPad. Uh, but two, there's a lot more of you than I think there were when I attended Southwest. I went to Southwest back when uh, we were in the warehouse um, and things were a little different. Our chapel chairs were probably not as comfy as the ones you are sitting in right now. So enjoy that cushion uh, for this time. Um, so I'm excited to be here. I'm really um, honored that I was asked by Mr. Goldie to come and share a little bit with you. Um, I've seen some familiar faces already and it's kind of fun to come back. I was greeted in the parking lot uh, by a familiar face and so it's really, really fun to come back and be here. Um, I have enjoyed staying in contact uh, with the school and being a part of the work that is continuing to bring a Christ-centered education uh, to the community. Um, but when I was first asked to come and speak, I'll be honest, what you can't see is the small quivers in my little tiny boots that are up here, um, bringing real meaning to shake it in my boots. Um, I'm not a public speaker. I really am not. 
Um, I tend to focus in small groups, and so if I focus on the center group for a little bit, that might help me, and then maybe I'll look to the right, and maybe I'll look to the left a little bit. Um, and if I mess up, you probably won't know I will, but uh, just know it's because I'm not usually a public speaker. So a little bit more about me. Um, yes, I have for the last 10 or 11 years uh, worked in the child welfare system, and I'm not a social worker. Um, they do a really tough job, and I really appreciate them. Um, however, I work in a different aspect. So I've worked in a children's shelter for a really long time, and currently I train professionals who are working in the child welfare system on how we engage young people um, that are facing pretty traumatic events going on in their lives and kind of the perspectives that we have to shift in order to meet them where they're at. In addition, I own a business. Uh, I have a multifaceted business that runs from properties to photography to coaching and consultation. Um, I also support a um, business that deals with vulnerable adults and then I'm also on the board of a music literacy program for autistic students um, that happens on the Southwest High School campus in Minneapolis. Uh, so that's a little bit about me and kind of what I'm into these days post-graduation from Southwest. Um, but when Mr. Goldie asked me to come, I thought of a lot of reasons why I could say no during the phone call uh, that we were on. And the first was, well, gosh, there's probably a lot of other people. I could name a whole bunch right now that are Southwest alum that might be a little bit more qualified to give some sort of talk during Black History Month. Um, but then I was like, you know what, sure. Sure, I'll be up there quaking in my boots, but absolutely, I'll come back and I'll speak. Um, and I thought for a while, you know, kind of what are some things that I could share? If I'm gonna be talking in Black History Month, uh, what would be the things I could share? Um, and then it was, oh gosh, my schedule didn't work, so I couldn't come during Black History Month. And I was kind of okay with that. Um, and this was the day I could make it. Um, and I said, well, gosh, I'm following Black History Month. What can I talk about? So a few things I thought about was I could share with you that I'm a biracial woman. I am the product of an interracial marriage between a white man and a black woman. And they could share their own journey and their own struggle of acceptance as an interracial couple, both with family and community. Um, and I could also share that even though I'm biracial, I identify as a black woman. I am more closely identified to the black culture. That's something that I could talk about. I thought maybe, you know, I could talk about some of the experiences I've had at Southwest, like Mr. Goldie mentioned. Some of you maybe have seen me uh, before in the panels. It's okay if you don't remember. Um, and I shared a little bit about some of the experiences I had at Southwest that were pleasant, and then some where I definitely felt like other um, because of cultural differences. I thought maybe I could share a little bit about my journey through college and how it shaped uh, who I am now, the courage that I sometimes have, um, the times where I was forced to reckon with internal struggles I faced over who I was and how I fit into the world, um, and kind of those two cultures that I held and how I identified with one or the other. I thought I could maybe share stories from my college journey where I was also shamed for showing pride in my black heritage and for taking the time to really engage that part. I was called a half-breed half the time. Uh, people who were my friends, people who I was in community with, um, who thought it was a joke, 
I was then also told, well, you're the bridge between two worlds. And that carries a lot of responsibility and a lot of weight. I led campus groups like the Black Student Union because we needed to try to be seen, be understood, and be accepted in a space that didn't readily accept new perspectives and what was different. There's always a space on my college campus where I was not enough. I was not black enough for my black friends. I was the white friend in my circle of friends, etc. However, all of those experiences, my experiences in emergency shelter with youth and the traumatic experiences that they have that many of us would never imagine um, and conceive are one, even possible, like that kind of stuff happens, oh yeah. And two, just couldn't imagine what it's like to go through it. And I thought maybe I could talk about that, how hard it is to hold trauma of others and the hurting hearts of young people, and then what you do when some of that comes out in physical aggression and all these different things, and how does that impact, and what does that mean? And I really was like, well, what, what would I share that would make an impact? Because the whole point of me being here is to hopefully make some sort of imprint, right? I could talk about a civil rights bus tour that I went on right before the start of the pandemic with alumni from my college and professors who had a lot of different views, all of us Christians, but a lot of different views and perspectives on what was social justice, what did it mean to walk in this world and to love our neighbor as ourself, who was our neighbor? What does the Bible say about loving our neighbor and how we should engage a topic of social justice? When I tell you those were really long bus rides, first of all, and the bus we took, it was like a two-decker bus, and the upper deck was intentionally situated, whoever had renovated, bless them, but it was intentionally situated so that we were forced to look at each other the entire time. So we're driving from Indiana to Alabama to Mississippi, Tennessee, we're driving all over the place and all I can do is look at you and talk to you about an experience we just had or a historical place we just went or what it was like to walk over the Edmund Pettus Bridge and imagine what Martin Luther King and John Lewis and many others experienced on Bloody Sunday. It was a lot. And I thought maybe I could just share all that with them. And you can cue the, um, the slides up here. But I thought maybe I should also share some pictures. Because all those experiences together prepared me for things that I thought I would never do. I thought I would never march in a protest for social justice in the 2000s because of an injustice that happened when George Floyd was murdered on a neighborhood corner in the neighborhood I grew up in. My family only lives a few blocks from that intersection. I frequented that store quite often as a child. I worked in that community. But I never thought that I'd wade through tear gas and have conversations with officers to try to understand how this was okay. You can switch to the next one. Side note, I personally engaged with several of those officers that were involved in that incident many times over the years leading up to that. So I had a lot to grapple with. I never thought I'd be serving food in a community that was hurting and having to grapple with what is my place here? This is my community. But what is my place here? Are, are they more hurt than I am? Do I have a right to be hurt with them? But how can I be part of the healing? Next one. 
I never thought that I would march on a bridge in solidarity with other Southwest alumni. If you know the Austin family, you're blessed. They're close friends. We marched that, that time together, who we both come from the same community, and while we're on the bridge, you know, we never thought we'd look up to see a semi-truck coming directly towards us and having to run for safety. Having to pick up, you can hit the next one, having to pick up injured people and support them and then all the time be worried about how we're gonna make it out with all the police that were on the freeway and make it home by curfew because we didn't know what would happen if we were caught out after curfew. Next one, I never thought that I would join in a march with folks from across the country, people who walked all the way here from the southern states in silent protest of not only the George Floyd murder, but everything else that it represented things that had constantly been going on in the community. And the last one, I don't think I ever thought that I'd have to sit and grapple and wrestle again with what is my role as a Christian. I identify as a black woman. I know what some of the tension points and the issues are. I have a strong foundation in the Lord. But this, this caused me to have to wrestle really hard with what am I doing? Where's my role? The little cardboard, and I know you probably can't read it, has a verse on it, Micah 6.8. Anybody know what Micah 6.8 says? It's okay if you don't. Oh, I hear somebody. Say it louder. <laughs> there you go. I love how you volunteered your buddy in the front row here. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I had, to, I had to think about that. Am I, am I engaging in that? What am I doing? And then I took this photo of this man, and I just couldn't get away from what, he, what his poster said. How can I hold that I love Jesus, that I'm following his commands, and yet engage in ways that hurt my neighbor, that hurt my brother and hurt my sister? And all of that, you can flip to the next one, and we'll just leave it on that one. All of that, I think, answered some questions for me and caused me to think about three different questions. So what? Why does it matter? Am I equipped? And then what's next? We spend a lot of time in Black History Month inundating ourselves with information and new knowledge and stories that we haven't heard and history that we haven't learned. But I was curious, what do we do after Black History Month? If that's the only time we really spend digging into it, then how do we take that information and use it for the betterment of our community, this community, the community at large? What, what do we do with that, and then why does it matter? And first, I'd like to say, what is injustice? What is social justice? And for me, for my experience, when people are treated uh, repeatedly in a variety of situations and systems, so that's our education system, that's our economic systems, our political systems, right? Housing. And they're treated differently just because of the differences that they have, especially the visible ones. That is a form of injustice. When we're taught versions of history that exclude realities of what happened, that is injustice 
because then we're making things a little one-sided and we're not including all the perspectives and all the facts sometimes that actually happen. Quick question, and I could make some assumptions, but who's heard of the Tulsa massacre before? A good number of you, yeah. Can I tell you when I learned about the Tulsa massacre? I didn't learn about it until I was an adult, because that wasn't in my history book. The facts around it weren't in my history book. That wasn't something we talked about. But it's a super important piece of black history and American history. Much of the systems that we live in and that we use to operate the world around us are dictated by who holds the power and who has the privilege to hold that power. And so because not all of those systems honor and empathize with those who have a different perspective than they do, then we see injustice. Social justice is all about making economical, political, social rights and responsibilities, all of that equal and equitable for everybody. So again, why does it matter? Why does it matter to you? You're in high school. You're living the dream, right? Some of you are athletes. Some of you are musicians. You're planning your future. So why does this big world stuff matter to you? What well, matters because we're all image bearers. Genesis talks about how we were all created in God's image. And the Bible doesn't say, well, let us create man in our image, but really only the ones that believe in us. So it can't be because we're believers that we care about each other and that we care for the other believers. Everybody is the image bearer of Christ. The people we pass in the grocery store, your opponents on the soccer field, the opponents on the basketball court, you know, I don't know if you guys do speech and debate, all, all the different areas, art, anything. Anybody you come into contact with is your neighbor and is an image bearer of the Lord. We're all created equal. And Christians are, are called to love everybody. It's a commandment. First to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's hard to do that, though, if we pick and choose whom we show love to and whom we empathize and honor perspectives that are different, who we pick and choose if we should share in the hope and knowledge uh, of what the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. For example, when I say Black Lives Matter, I am not excluding anybody. When I say Black Lives Matter, I am actually including someone that has been left out. Unfortunately, sometimes, when that's said, people get really quick to defend, well, you're, you're not including all lives. What about these other lives? And no one's excluding it by any means at all, right? So what does that mean then? If, if I'm called to love everybody, if everybody bears the image of God, what do I have to do with that? I think sometimes, and this is my own personal journey, I wonder, am I even equipped to deal with this issue? What do I have to offer? Um, and I think sometimes that happens a little bit more when I am faced with issues where I don't fully understand or it doesn't always make a whole lot of sense to me. And I wonder, how am I going to be able to impact change? Um, am I good enough? Why me? And I think sometimes we feel that to be equipped, it means a few things. Moses, when he was in front of the burning bush and the Lord you know, was speaking to him and telling him what he was going to do, Moses was like, mm -mm. hold on, here's the whole laundry list of why I can't do it. 
I can't speak really well. I probably sweat a lot. Um, the people don't like me. Because Moses had killed somebody before he went into the wilderness. Right? And people had something to say about that. But what I took from it is, shoot, Moses is concerned that one, he doesn't have the words to say, so he's not qualified, he's not equipped. He doesn't feel like he has the influence, not with the people he's speaking to, the Egyptians, and maybe not even with the Hebrews. So, I mean, what's the point? No one's going to follow me and back me up. I don't have the skills. I don't have the right to be here and to speak up. When I participated in the very first march after George Floyd was murdered, I think it was, Angela, maybe it was the next day. I think it was the, the day after. Um, I left work early, told my boss, yeah, I got I to gotta be in, in community right now. I'm, I'm not going to be at work for the remainder of the day. And when things started to get a little dicey at the precinct, um, I remember I wanted to hear what was being said at the front. And so I was with one of my coworkers, tall, blonde, and I'm this short little girl, and so I also couldn't see because I'm just short. Um, and I really wanted to be able to see and hear what was going on. And so I remember we moved a little closer in the crowd, and I passed a young black woman that was standing next to me. And I didn't stand in her way, I didn't block her, uh, but moved just a little further up. Um, and immediately she said, that's exactly right. You white people have to go and stand in front of us. And I was like, Karen, she must be talking to you because she's not talking to me. She doesn't know. She doesn't know about me. Um, and it caused a whole lot of, in that one single moment, a whole lot of internal struggle. Do I have a right to be here, to be upset, to be angry, and just as angry as my fellow neighbors over here? Colorism, you guys know what that is? Maybe, maybe not. It's this idea that if my skin is lighter, then I'm somehow better. And I've had to grapple with people assuming that I hold that thought because as a woman who identifies as a black woman and I have a lighter skin tone, well, you must think you're better. The supervisor only listens to you because your skin tone's a little lighter. It's not always fair, but it caused me in that moment to be like, well, maybe I'm not equipped to be here. Maybe I should just back out. I think Jonah, when he was asked to go to Nineveh, he was like, I don't even want to go. Like, it's not somewhere I'm trying to be. I tried, he tried to go somewhere else. And I think sometimes we feel like to be equipped to have these conversations and to make change that we have to have a desire to do it. And I think sometimes God can give us a desire that doesn't exist for us because it's what he's called us to do, even if we don't know it right away. I think with some of the disciples, they felt a responsibility to get it right. I love doubting Thomas. I think he and I are the most alike because he wanted facts. When he was told that Jesus had arisen, he was like, mm -mm, I need to see. I need to see some blood. I need to see a hole. I need, I need the baby toe. Like, I just need to see something because I don't, I don't believe that he's risen. What you're saying is not true. And I'm, I'm a lot like Thomas. I need some facts, and if I feel like I don't have the facts, well, then I guess I can't participate because I won't know what's going on and I'm not equipped. But I think to be equipped is none of those things. That doesn't mean you have all the right words all the time. 
that you have all the skills all the time, that you have all the influence all the time. Honestly, in my experience, I think to be equipped is simply that you're called. If God has called you as one that he's created in his image to love one another, to honor one another, to spread the word of his hope to one another, then you're equipped. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about God equipping us for every good work, everything that he's called us to do. And that's repeated in the New Testament and other places. Being equipped means I'm just following the call because he's going to provide everything I need to be able to do the work. So I had to think about that, and I'm like, well, I am qualified because, one, he's given me a piece of identity to help me understand. He's given me an open mind to receive perspectives that look a little different at times and um, are sometimes experiences that I personally haven't had, and it's really easy to disregard an experience that's not mine. But because he has allowed me to have that open mind and a perspective, then, yeah, I'm equipped. I can, I can do it. So then what, what, what happens next? What's next for me? If I know that I'm equipped, because I am, I've been on some committees, not that that alone is enough. I sit and I talk with coworkers. I sit and I talk to people in the community. I sit and I talk to other young people. And if I'm equipped, then what do I got to do with that? Can't just sit on it, right? Some of you are just kind of figuring out high school. Where are all the freshmen at? Freshmen and sophomores, where are all you guys at? Raise your hand high, because I can't see. Okay. You guys are just kind of getting started, right? You're figuring out what is this high school life? What am I, I going to be doing? You're getting, getting into different subjects and classes and all these kinds of things, right? And so what, is this, what does this do for you? How do you take this information forward? Maybe you take it to your next interaction with someone who has a different perspective than you or doesn't agree with something that you think differently on. Maybe it's when you attempt to understand someone who values something, their core belief is even more different. It could be in the school, it could be out in your community, on your sports team. That's something that you can start with. It's small. It's not a huge deal. It's not a march in a protest. It's not uh, speaking. It's not feeling like you have a responsibility to have the right answer, but it's a little something that you can do. That's where I had to start. Okay, I'll have a conversation. And maybe after that conversation, I'll have another conversation. And maybe when I disagree with someone, I'll ask a question and figure out why is it that I disagree and why am I uncomfortable because I disagree. And then how do I love that person through that disagreement or with that difference? Juniors and seniors, where are you guys at? Oh, you guys look so excited to be older. Oh, man. You guys are kind of on this cusp of transitioning. Juniors, you've got a little bit more time to figure some things out. Seniors, you're making either college decisions or you're thinking about what do you do if you're not going to go to college. I don't know. Plenty of people who take vocational routes and all that stuff. And you're going to be in a place where you have a little bit more uh, freedom. You have a little bit more ability to take initiative and go and, 
immerse yourself in groups that you wouldn't normally immerse yourself in, surround yourself with people and things that you might not normally have the ability to do. And no matter where you go, you guys are gonna be entering in a world where you hold more responsibility and more independence. Um, and that starts now. You guys can mentor the ones that are younger than you, right? You guys can be leaders in here. You can start conversations. You can ask challenging questions. I think sometimes we use the word challenge. I like to challenge people a lot. That's part of my job. I ask questions and I make people think about stuff that's really uncomfortable and I'm okay with it. And I let them know that I'm gonna do that because if I ask some really uncomfortable questions, then hopefully we start a different thought process than we had before and we can get somewhere together. Whether you enter a workplace or you're serving in a local church or maybe you're thinking that God has called you to missions, whether it's abroad or it's local, how are you going to take that initiative to impact change and to look around and to engage the perspectives and the experiences that you haven't held and make an impact? I sometimes think about, there's a verse in James, and I often struggle with it, um, and the verse is talking about, it's in James chapter 2, and it talks about your faith without deeds and how your deeds should accompany your faith, and it says, you know, if you see a brother who's in need, um, you know, they're hungry, um, and they are without clothing, and I say to them, you know what, go, be well, be fed, like, have a great day, I'll see you next time I come around, or whatever, is a challenge. What good is that? What does that do? If I only see injustice, and I sit in my space, and I just pray about it, that's great, prayer is good, don't get me wrong. But if all I do is sit removed, and I pray about it, I don't have conversation with the people I'm in community with, what good is that? There's, there's a little bit more that I can do. And I think that's a challenge that I have to ask myself every day when I go into the workplace, when I have in interactions with people in my community, what, what exactly is it that I can do so that I am meeting a need and engaging and not just simply saying, oh, that's okay. Somebody mentioned earlier that you know there's a lot of conflict going on right now across the world and it's great that I'm, that I'm praying. And is there anything else that I can do to engage? Those are questions that I have to ask myself all the time. Sometimes what's, what's next, once I realize I am equipped because I'm a Christian, to have these conversations and to engage people who are different than me, sometimes what's next is just a listening ear and listening to understand. Sometimes it's reading about someone's experience, uh, something that I haven't read before, it's engaging the community. We have other examples of other Christians and believers who have gone before us. When I walked on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I had to like stop for a minute and it was super emotional because I'm like, man, not a long time ago, right? Civil rights kind of seems like a really long time ago when you read it in the history book and you see like the dates, but really not a long time ago, Martin Luther King and a few other people walked this exact same sidewalk and met with some pretty, pretty horrific actions, all to seek justice in areas that they were experiencing injustice. Uh, and like I said, I could have thought of a ton of other alumni 
when I was asked to share just even a little bit of my journey, who maybe could share a little bit more than I, could share a little bit better than I. But part of it is we all have, we all have a part 